Hey everyone, this is Adam Ellenboss from Nightlight Astrology, and today we are going to talk about Venus's upcoming square to Uranus. So Venus is transiting through the sign of Aquarius, as most of you know, and um, is making a square to Uranus in Taurus over the weekend. Uh, we're going to talk about this transit today, and we're going to talk about the different kinds of relationship dynamics that often uh, constellate around a Venus Uranus square or sometimes other hard, as uh, hard aspects like an opposition or even a conjunction. Um, I'm going to use some observations from uh, my life as a parent and draw some analogies. I think they're applicable to anyone, whether you have kids or not, um, but I hope you'll find them useful. We're going to talk about six different stages or dynamics of the parent-child relationship and how each one of them correlate to a different quality of Venus and Uranus. I had fun make, writing this talk this morning, so I hope that you guys will enjoy it. Before we get into it today, don't forget to like and subscribe, share your comments in the comment section, click the notification bell for updates. Readings and Passages starts this week if you want to join that program, or if you want to join the upcoming Roots and Spheres program, a moon circle where we also ingest plant teachers throughout the year as we study each moon cycle. Check those out at nightlightastrology.com. There is need-based tuition assistance for those programs if it would help you. Um, and as always, if you ever want to find a transcript of any of my daily talks, uh, we post them on the website uh, with usually within a day at nightlightastrology.com. Okay, well, um, first I want to show you the real-time clock so that you can see the dynamic we're talking about. As always, I think it's helpful to just get a feel for the timing. Uh, so here we go. And what I want to do for starters is just uh, illustrate, whoops, get this to the right date here. <clears throat> so as we sit here on Thursday, we're just about two degrees away. So you can see Venus squaring Uranus here within about two degrees. But let's watch how this perfects. So if we go forward, uh, you're going to see that Friday, January 13th, uh, Venus is now within a little over one degree away. And then Saturday, it's coming in and exact. And then Sunday, uh, separating. So this will be over by Monday. But you got a nice long transit really from Thursday all the way now through Sunday, Monday. Um, so that's the transit. Now, one of the interesting things about this is that we were debating uh, at the end of January, talking about Venus's wild month of January, whether or not Venus was considered to be in a malefic enclosure. A malefic enclosure would mean that, for example, uh, you can see Mars casting its ray behind Venus at eight degrees, and Saturn is sitting in front of Venus at 23 degrees, which effectively is like saying, look, Venus, you're stuck between the ray of Mars and the body of Saturn, and there's no planet intervening, meaning another planet that's sending its ray somewhere in between. What I find interesting is that an intervention of the moon could count, and an intervention potentially from Uranus could count. And we have both of those right around the time of this transit. So watch, this is Friday, January 13th. You're gonna see that the moon is going to make a trine to Venus and that's Friday evening, January 13th. And then the next day, Venus is going through the square with Uranus. So if Venus has been having a hard time, wherever that may land in your chart and think of all things related to Venus, love, relationships, women, sisters, beauty, desire, attraction, sensuality, 
um, harmony, etc. If Venus has been on the rocks, you know, then could we see a turn for the better or some kind of release from those challenging conditions as Venus hits the square to Uranus um, and as the trine from the moon in Libra comes through? That would be Friday into Saturday, a dramatic turn of events for things related to Venus. So that's interesting. All of that is interesting to consider. Uh, we'll keep our eyes out for that. In the meantime, what I want to do today is talk to you about six different Venus-Uranus relationship dynamics. And I'm going to use the, I'm going to use like a parenting analogy to make the point. Follow me because this could be applied to your, all of this can be applied to your life, whether you have kids or not. Um, so this could be applied to love relationships, work relationships, friendships. This could be um, in you know marriage or someone you're dating. Uh, this could be related to a circle of friends or a community or a group. So anyway, here are the stages of parent-child dynamics that I've mapped out. I'm not an expert on you know parenting or anything, um, and uh, uh, don't quote me you know as a, as an expert, <laughs> but. These six stages to me are very natural. Some of them I'm experiencing as a parent. Some of them I've experienced as, you know, a, a child of, of my own parents. Uh, so I think that these stages or are also not sequential. I'm going to present them sequentially as though it's a linear story, but I don't think that it is, meaning any of these stages could appear or reappear at different times in our lives. Um, so I, let's call them six Rather than stages, let's call them six seasons. And let's keep in mind that any of these seasons, although I'm going to present them in a linear manner, could play out um, at different times and repeat at different times. It's not like you're graduating from one stage to another. I don't want to present it like it's too linear. Okay. So, number one, you know, when you're a baby, when you're really young, you want to be as close to your parents as possible. Uh, that could be, you know, your mother or or your like a primary caregiver. Um, but the the early stage of life is like my kids, if they could be with me, hugging me, playing with me, doing stuff together, you know, sleeping in my bed, it would be they would do it 24 seven, you know, and I remember that when I was a kid, too. I remember loving on a Friday night, you know, before I started doing sleepovers and doing my own thing, I remember it was the best thing in the world to spend time with my mom. Uh, and my dad was often working, but my dad too, you know, I love spending time with them. So we all know what it's like to want to be as close to other people as possible. You could say this is true of uh, any kind of relationship, uh, not to just to speak of parents. Now, if I move it through another stage, the second one would be that, you know, you get a little bit older and then it's like you want to be as far away as possible. And I not, not necessarily because I hated my parents, but there was a combination of rebellion and needing to do my own thing that emerged in my teenage years. And my parents were like, hey, do you want to rent a movie on a Friday night? Maybe sometimes. But a lot of the time I'd be like, no, I'd rather go be with my friends. And generally speaking, my parents became a little bit more uncool. Like I didn't actively hate them. And I know some people probably have lots of reason to, and maybe you wanted to be far away from your parents even earlier. And, and so I might be, I'm, I'm not trying to present a timeline that's like, oh, everyone goes through this, you know, because some people have really messed up, you know, parents that they want to be far away from as early as, you know, really young. So just follow this as a kind of archetypal timeline. You know what I mean? Um, then at a certain point, you might want to be as far away as possible from your from your family or your parents. 
as you get a little bit older, you then go through a stage where you want to maybe gain their approval or recognition. So for example, um, you know, I remember wanting them to know that I was doing well in school, that uh, I'd gotten a good, I'd gotten a job, you know, that I could afford a car payment, that I had paid off a credit card bill or, you know, just that, that sense of like, look at me, I'm becoming an adult. Uh, approve, give me some approval or recognition. Uh, and and the, the, there's, and again, I don't think these are all separate. They could bleed over into each other, but they're specific kinds of uh, relationship dynamics. Um, recognize me, you know, um, do you see that I'm standing out? Do you see that I'm doing a good job? Is there encouragement and recognition because I'm individuating? So that's a, that's an important stage. And I, or it's like an important role that, that the parents and children have with each other. And again, assuming everything is healthy, you know what I mean? Like obviously some people never experience this. Number four would be, um, you know, I, I feel like an adult and now I'd like to have a more adult relationship with my parent. And I remember, you know, this probably happened to me more so from around the time that I published my book and got married and like started my own business and like, like I started having kids, you know, relationships with your parents become a little bit more about equality, right? It's, it's like, it's not like there, there'll always be your parent, but there's a way in which you're both, you're kind of relating as adults. You're a little bit more shoulder to shoulder. You know what I mean? And there's a need for that. There's a desire to have that experience. Now, again, some people never have that because some people's parents will never validate them or they're not worth wanting to have a relationship or whatever. So again, just con continue to think of these as archetypal because they play a role in all sorts of relationships. Uh, you know, can't, can't you say that there are times where um, people that have been like a, like a big brother or a mentor or a, a, a guide, and then the relationship shifts and you become more of equal. You become equals somehow. Okay, so there's that. Then there's number five, which is the child becomes the parent. You know, often as parents are aging, uh, you end up, the role reverses and you end up having to take care of them. They put you in diapers, you know, maybe you're putting them in diapers at a certain age because they need help or they need a nursing, uh, they need a nursing home when you have to facil help facilitate that or whatever. I hear stories from my clients year round about their parents needing care, right? And, and how hard that can be. Um, and how ch challenging that role reversal can be and that, you know, caring for like a sick or dying parent, you know, something like this. So again, these are not linear. They, they could happen to an, a 17 year old might have to become the parent uh, of, a, of, a, of a, an adult who needs some kind of help or isn't competent or is sick or, you know. Number six, the child needs to let go of the parent. Um, and that could be a lot of different things. Like sometimes that might mean death, you know, that could mean, uh, or that also could mean that you just need to do your own thing or be your own person. And like, almost like not, not, uh, reject, uh, like your parent, but just be like, oh, you know, um, you're your own person and I'm my own person. And there are times where I need distance or space, almost like the teenage years all over again. But I think of this specifically as like the, the time when sometimes like your parents might become a burden or they might, it might be that you feel like you need space from them. And maybe even again, more like critically, like you have to let go of them somehow. 
Anyway, I was jotting down these different stages and reflecting on them after having a conversation uh, with my wife and then with a friend uh, about um, the different kinds of dynamics that exist in my relationship with God or source, whatever word you know you you may use. Um, and I was noticing how these stages are in some ways similar to a child parent-child dynamic. <laughs> so for example, I'm going to go back up and explain to you, like in my faith life, in my prayer life, in my meditation life, whether I'm connecting with God or an avatar like, you know, Krishna or Jesus or, uh, you know, a, a, a God, or whether it's the one or a higher self, whatever that higher power is that I'm connecting with in prayer, in meditation in my life, or ayahuasca ceremonies, anytime, right? There are st these stages are there too. For example, sometimes it's it feels like I just want to be as close as I possibly can to that inner higher self, um, and it it feels you know very much like a like a like a child clinging to its parent, uh, very tender, bonded. Don't let me go. You know I want to be close to you, kind of thing. And I experience that. It doesn't, not all the time, but it's an archetypal stage that I return to in my relating. And it's very inspired and inspiring. It feels very electric and connected and sort of ecstatic. It could be conceptualized as a, a mother holding a child, like God's holding me, or maybe I'm holding God like a child, or maybe it's more like making love, but it's close and it's fused and it, it's let's be as close as possible. It's very intense kind of ecstatic bondedness. Number two, want to be as far away as possible. I feel like there are stages in my relationship with, you know, source or God, higher power, um, where it, it, it is as though I'm like, I just don't want to have anything to do with you. It's not that I don't believe you exist or that I'm going to completely, I'm not going to like, I'm maybe I continue to have spiritual practices in my life, but it's almost like I need space, <laughs> you know, like, like I need to be doing something that's almost like, let's just call it what it is. There's periods of like rebellion and like, eh, just kind of leave me alone. And I've come to recognize um, that these periods, you know, sure, they can be destructive. They could be really destructive. But I think for a lot of people, they're actually, they can be also very healthy, healthy periods of saying, I believe in you. I love you. I know you're there, but I also need space. <laughs> you know, I need to do my own thing. And people can really, really struggle with feeling like it's okay to need space from the divine, from that source within, like you're committing some terrible sin if you just need space. And the truth is that while, you know, like I'm reflecting on my own path anyway, in some of those spaces, it feels like I'm polarized or sort of battling with God somehow. Still, I would say that there's a sense that this is a stage and it's important somehow that I'd be going through it, uh, that it's sacred and even blessed, you know? So number three, want to gain approval recognition. I recognize this also in my relationship with God, in my prayer life, that there will be times where I'm just like, hey, am I doing a good job? Am I on the right path? Or do you, you know, are you giving me things as signs of approval or recognition or like wanting God to be like, you're good, you know, you're doing a good job. 
And that there's a whole way of relating to God that has to do with a feeling of needing approval or recognition. Sometimes that's healthy, sometimes it's not, but it's a stage, it's a, it's a phase, it's some place I seem to go back to, and I'm sure some of you guys do too. Number four, I want to have an adult relationship. I don't want to be the person that's always talking to God like, hey, can you help me out? You know, I'm in a pickle, <laughs> you know, or like I need something or I want something or something's broken or something's negative or heal me or fix me or ah, you know. I want to have a relationship where it's like I sit with God and like we just look out at the world together. We look in at experience together. There's a sense of being friends with God or like equals, maybe not quite the right word, but something like that. Not identicals, right? But there's like uh, the God in me recognizes the God in you, Jehovah, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, and so that's a stage. Number five, the child becomes the parent. Now this one's really interesting. It feels like sometimes, let's just call it my higher self is aching or hurting. And there's some, maybe it's because I haven't spent enough time uh, with it. And I think, of course, people are going to, oh, that's sacrilegious. God doesn't hurt. God doesn't need anything. God isn't needy. God is completely self-sufficient. God is not lacking a thing. It's like, well, it doesn't really sound like a person. It, you know, that that sounds like a state, not a being. And I, my own opinion on this, take it or leave it, is that God sometimes needs us, just like we need God. And that there's a way in which, when I'm needed by God, I have the, I have the ability to act in a way that is, it's a, like a role reversal. It's like taking care of an aging parent, and. But I, it's funny because I may notice that, for example, um, it doesn't have to be literally connected to parenting. But in my case, for example, I sometimes find that there'll just be an aspect of my heart that needs care or, or tending to. And it's like God is giving me the ability to step out of being like, well, little one, you're down here and I, the Almighty, am up here. You know, and it's like it's like God willingly takes off that role and goes into a position of need to give me the experience of being able to serve something divine and to feel what it's like to be in the role of a provider rather than someone who's just like, you know, a little peon, like you know, always needing something. I don't know if that makes sense. If you can understand that, but that is something that uh, has been a sacred thing in my own spiritual life. Um, number six is the child needs to let go of the parent. Now, again, I would call this a stage and not a destination. It's not like once you've let go of your parent, then you're evolved. But there are stages. Like sometimes I was saying, like as an adult, you need to just have your own life and let go of wanting to be close or far, gaining approval or having a kind of equal relationship. Sometimes you're not a child or a parent. You're just a person and a parent is just a person and there's a need to have some kind of separate existence. I think that one is most complicated for us because I think most, at least the Christian programming in the West teaches us that the need to be an individual apart from and distinct from the divine is sacrilegious or is somehow, um, you know, transgressive. And I don't think that's the case. I think that um, I don't under, like, 
I don't know one relationship I can think of, whether it's with my dog or my kids or my wife or my parents or my sister or my friends, where you don't need periods of time to feel like you exist apart from that other. And it's, I think God allows us to have those experiences, periods where I say, I don't know who I am. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I believe. I don't know what is true when it comes to God or when it comes to divinity or, you know, the, the big picture. And that's okay. I'm just going to be me. And I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm just not going to be having my identity wrapped up in what is this thing or being or truth or, you know, I'm just going to do me. And then it's like, because we do that, eventually that stage is over and we find ourselves wanting to be as close as possible again. But now we've, now we're wanting to be as close as possible from the standpoint of someone who's like integrated the, 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 the experience and the, the, we've, we've given some sacred room for questions and doubts and insecurities and isn't it better to bring those things into a relationship rather than saying, well, I can only have the relationship once I have banished those things for good because those things somehow tarnish the relationship. It's kind of like there's an atheist wing in every psyche. And, and it's almost as though sometimes, or you know, God needs us to be fully ourselves, including that part of us that is not a believer or that's an agnostic or something like that. And that it's a paradox, right? But it's, it's like, unless we've integrated that part of ourselves and given room for it and said, it's okay that it's there. Um, it's as though there's, we're not going to be capable of experiencing divinity as fully. Right. So, um, that to me is, uh, like a very challenging stage to just say, okay, you know, again, for me, the way I experience is not so much um, in terms of like whether God exists or not. It's almost a bit more like, like I was saying earlier, like, okay, God, you're here, uh, higher self, you're here. And I just have to go do me stuff for a while because the relationship is um, overwhelming me, do, do you know? So I think that's normal. I, I think that's actually really healthy somehow. So I just want to say that, you know, in case in case anyone else feels that way. But there are Venus-Uranus correlates. And although I'm talking about parenting and then I'm relating it to like my inner life with the divine or, or what have you, these correlates to the Venus-Uranus dynamic, um, I hope will be helpful and that you have a way of framing them that is both philosophically and practically useful. So Venus-Uranus takeaways. One is that Venus-Uranus is associated with the intoxication. I want to be as close to you as possible. What does Venus-Uranus have to do with that? Venus-Uranus is the, for example, the ecstasy of, um, you know, chemical combustion in romance. It's fast, it's electric, it's hot, it's ecstatic. I want to be as close to you as possible. I'm, I'm filled with love and a kind of electric intensity. You know, I think about kids when they're close to their parents, I wouldn't necessarily describe it as Venus Uranus, maybe more like moon Neptune or something kind of milky, you know, but when I think about how much excitement and joy and exuberance my kids have when they want to be with me or 
after an ayahuasca ceremony, the way I felt about divinity and spirituality and the, the, the walking a sacred path, it's very Venus Uranus in the sense that you are, you're just gobsmacked with beauty and enthusiasm. And so the, the wanting to be as close as possible is very similar to the Venus Uranus dynamic of, of enamorment and intoxication. A, a, a kind of electric, it's like being electrocuted and intoxicated at once. Number two is freedom. Well, if you go to like, I was giving the analogy of being like a teenager, I just, I, I want to rebel against divinity or I need to rebel against my parents. Well, Venus Uranus is associated with wanting to rebel from the things that we are bonded to. Ah, get me out of here. You know, like, uh, let me do my own thing. It's a Venus Uranus dynamic. And it's a natural part of how all relationships work. There are periods of time in love when you need to be intoxicated. And there are periods of time in relationships where you need to seek out that freedom. Similarly, how about standing out or individuating? Uh, I want to gain the approval or recognition of God. I want to do something special and stand out. I want to be seen as unique. It's a very, that's a thing that we do. And uh, we often do that. You know, I, I don't care what my parents want, how they want me to dress or if they want me to go to church, I'm going to stand out. I'm going to individuate. Or we might say, I want to stand out and individuate because I want their approval. But standing out or individuating to be seen as your most beautiful, authentic self and to uh, sort of flip up the plumage, you know, that's a Venus Uranus dynamic. How about equality? Going back to, I want to have an adult relationship. It's like, sometimes I want to be like, look, God, I'm not petitioning you to like get something. Or with my parents, like, I don't want to have like a parent-child dynamic. I just want to be like adults together. This applies in all different kinds of relationships. For example, how many times in a relationship are you with someone and they're giving you advice and you're like, thanks for the advice, but I just want to be, I just want you to listen or something like that. You want to have a sense of equality. Well, Venus Uranus is associated with equality, um, with egalitarianism. Number five is role reversals. So I say, you know, the child becomes the parent and there's times when it feels like the higher self is in need of us. Not that it's, it's not just a linear thing where we're in need of the higher self or similarly that a parent is only ever serving our needs, that there are stages in life where the roles reverse and role reversals in relationships are a Venus Uranus dynamic. Finally, separations, the child needs to let go of the parent or at times it's like, I just need to exist apart from any question of higher self, right? I was talking about that, how complicated that can be. Venus Uranus sometimes is all about separations, just saying, I need to be alone. I need to go it alone. I need to divorce or separate, or I need to do something apart from what I've been bonded to. Goes back to the similarity of being free or rebelling. But this one is usually more about being apart than it is about standing out. Um, so anyway, I hope that these are useful and that this whole talk has been like, for me, what was cool in doing this was just in recognizing that any of these stages are, it's like, we're always moving in and out of them. Sometimes there's two of them present at the same time and not just in, you know, in love relationships with parents at work, there's, you know, even like, like I would recognize this with certain teachers or mentors that I've gone through stages like this. Like you, you take someone, uh, I've taken years and years and years of 
people's classes that I've loved. And then there's a time where I'm like, okay, I can't listen to anything they, you know, they, they say or do or teach, you know, I just need to do my own thing for a while. And then later on, I come back and study more with them. You know, all of these dynamics are natural and sacred and the flip flipping or shifting of these dynamics in dramatic ways, according to these different themes and stages would be very normal for Venus Uranus this week, this weekend. Um, so that's what I hope will, I hope that'll give you something to help you watch for and notice the archetype as it manifests over the weekend. That is what I have for you today. Don't forget roots and spheres and readings and passages Our two latest courses start, uh, this week and next. So be sure to check those out on the website, nightlightastrology.com. There is need-based tuition. If you need it, email us with any questions, info at nightlightastrology.com. All right, take it easy, guys. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye.